kidding hasn't changed in a hundred years. Just the way that we're teaching it has changed. And I'm still not convinced it's the better way. The marketing has gotten so bad. And like you said, it's unbearable to watch. To me, it's a big dumpster fire. And I feel bad for the people that are watching it because they don't know who to believe. There are a lot of good voices on Twitter that have been silenced, so to speak, because these guys just attack people and they muffle them because that's part of their plan. And what I try to do is try to stay in my lane. I try to be consistent in the message and the purpose and the why behind the message and, and let people decide what they want. I always say that I'm not for everybody. Our guest today on the Coaching Life podcast is Kevin Wilson. And if you're not familiar with Kevin Wilson's work, and you're a regular listener of this podcast, then it's time that you become familiar with with Coach Wilson. (laughs) He is a professional hitting consultant, and this is the guy that countless Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball hitters have called and hired to help with their development as hitters. He has um, worked with hitters from every, almost every Major League Baseball team. He's regarded by many people to be one of the most respected hitting coaches in the, in the game of baseball today. Kevin has two books. The first one that I picked up was The Good Batting Book, and it was absolutely phenomenal. In fact, when I was a high school baseball coach, I turned around on one of our trips to a baseball game, about an hour-long trip, and I saw three copies of this book being read in the bus Mm -hmm. at that time. And uh, it was no coincidence that they were three of my best hitters (laughs) that were reading it. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it was, it's been a number one bestseller on Amazon. And then uh, his recent book, Finding Clarity, a mindful look into the art of hitting has also been a number one download on Amazon. You can uh, download that as a Kindle, an ebook. And um, I want to say how I was first introduced to uh, coach Wilson I first learned of you, Kevin, in podcast land back in 2014, I believe it was, when I first started listening to podcasts and I was uh, coaching high school baseball and I started list, I, I discovered podcasts and I was looking for anything I could find, mostly baseball. And at that time, I found Top Coach Podcast with Jack Warren, which I know that you, you know that, you know, Jack. And then as I was looking through my searches, I found this KWB radio with Kevin Wilson and Joe Ferraro. And I downloaded it and started listening. I, I got to tell you, immediately, my mindset for how to teach my hitters began to change. I guess I should say my approach has, uh, it started to change right then. You res- Everything you were saying just resonated with me. And I started, I signed up for the morning message on your, uh, the emails that you send out. And so we're going to give our listeners all of the ways that they can connect with you and, and uh, find your materials. But I just want to bring you in here right now and uh, say that it's just our absolute pleasure to be able to speak with you on, uh, on the Coaching Life podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. And I, uh, what an introduction and uh, very flattered by that and, uh, and honored to be here. And, and just even to hear uh, you turned around on the bus and a couple guys yeah. reading the book. I mean, that just, uh, that really warms my heart because, uh, you know, you really don't know who the book gets into what hands and when right. and how, and, and certainly uh, appreciate you, uh, you know, um, taking it and, and sharing it with others. And, uh, and here we are today being able to maybe expand a little bit about uh, some of the stuff in the book and, and other stuff that we do. Yeah, no doubt. One of the things that I noticed right off the bat when I started listening to KWB Radio and, and your podcast is there were some things that were different in what I was hearing you say. And one of the first things that that struck me was you weren't just talking about mechanics and drills and X's and O's and all the things that, you know, I would give a, I would provide a youth, a local youth coaching seminar in our local leagues here in Athens called the Sandlot. And I spent a lot of time giving them, you know, giving the coaches drills and things, you know, ways that they can coach their kids up. And then I started hearing you talk about approach and the mental game of hitting. And I, and I, I'd read, you know, I'd read a little bit of Ken Revisa stuff and I was starting to get into Brian Kane's at the same time too. So it was like a perfect storm when I found your podcast as well, because you were talking about how hitting is a conversation. I know that's a big uh, a word for you. And you were talking about how 
how to talk to hitters, how to ask them questions to get them actually thinking about and talking about what it is that they're doing when they're trying to hit a baseball, when they're trying to compete in that batter's box. Would you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that statement, hitting as a conversation? Yeah, what a great uh, way to kick off the podcast today with that. It's really near and dear to my heart and and something that I feel um, used to be in the game, mm. if I could say that. And now it's not so much in the game. Now, I, I think people, there are some people out there that do a tremendous job of doing it. You talk about KWB Radio. Our very first guest was Charlie Manuel. Yeah. He's the Mount Rushmore of the guys that uh, in my book and in a lot of people's books in terms of having that conversation with with people, with hitters. Um, So I guess the the jumping off point with the conversation piece for me is, you know, I don't have a philosophy on hitting. You know, I have principles about hitting. And I think that's a good thing for whether it's hitting or business or life. You have your non-negotiables. You have your principles that you, your foundation that you stand on. Um, you know, in hitting terms, it might be timing is a, is a, mm. is a principle you know, be on time to hit a line drive the center field. Like that's non-negotiable, whether you do it on top of your head, whether you do it with a leg kick, whether you do it hitting left-handed or right-handed, that's a principle within those principles though, are flexible philosophies. Meaning Chris, if you hit a certain way and I hit a certain way, Pat, you hit a certain way, then all of a sudden there's three different individuals that have their own philosophies, things that that mean something to them, something that they, they, um, that they believe in for themselves that works for them. Mm. As a coach, I want to be able to be flexible in my philosophy of what works for that person, all at the same time having our principles be that foundation where we can all build ourselves up from. So the conversation piece is I don't know what you know about yourself. I don't know what matters to you. I don't know what your fears and anxieties are and your strengths and your weaknesses and all that, unless I ask you questions, yeah, unless no I start a conversation. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there. I feel now that they, they coach and they try to tell you what they know. Listen, I raised my hand. I was guilty of that when I started. So put me in that box, right? I think a lot of us can, can, uh, uh, you know, relate with that. The other thing is if we ask a, a question and we're, we're being really good at listening to that person on what's coming out of their mouth and what means the most to them and all the things we just talked about, I'm basically tricking the hitter or the person into telling me exactly how I'm going to approach that guy or that gal, whoever it is that I'm coaching, I'm going to approach that person using their words, using their language, using what means the most to them and turn it back around and teach them in that way. So the hitting is a conversation piece is I'm going in with a blank slate. I know my non-negotiables, my principles, the things that we're going to keep, build a road with. If you want to think about that, think about a roadway, the principles of the roadway. Uh, We have guardrails, right? We're not had ditches. We have guardrails, bumpers in a bowling alley. If you want to think about that. We have permission to hit off those guardrails. But as we're going on, I set up the roadway for the player. I ask the questions and we have that conversation with them in order to say, hey, listen, you know, what do you think about this? Or, what, you know, what's on your mind with that? Or what does that feel like? And then you start talking through things. All of a sudden, they come up with these answers on their own. So you're basically tricking them into taking ownership of what they're mm-hmm. doing. So. Simply put, having that conversation, I believe, is crucial into developing a hitter, an individual hitter, not a cookie cutter platform where I'm saying hey, everybody has to hit like this and stand like that and, and do this. That's, that's great. I'll, I'll join the podcast now. I think I'm kind of fanboying a little bit over here, but <laughs> I, I'm so excited for our listeners to get to dive into your brain a little bit and, and, and see this different perspective of, of approaching hitting. And I, you know, I get a lot of questions from people, you know, in regards to youth hitters, I'm, I'm around a lot of dads uh, that, uh, that have kids that, that play softball and baseball and everyone's worried about mechanics. That's what 95% of the questions are about is about mechanics. Is my kid doing this? And, uh, bat drag is a, is a big concern for, you know, a lot of, a lot of dads or, or moms that, 
uh, have kids hitting. And uh, I just, I, I wanted to ask you, coach, is there any mechanical flaw that, you know, a, a, an eight year old or a 10 year old has that concerns you to the level of their mental approach? I don't think I've ever been asked that question. That's good. Start off this podcast with, uh, I like this. Um, I have a son that's 10. So let's reference that. So I, I've got a son that's 10. He'll be 11 in July going on 22. Uh, I think those with kids can relate. Sometimes you get, get the young ones. He's been around the game. Uh, he's grown up in the clubhouse. Uh, he's seen a lot of things. He doesn't listen to dad. So I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, join the club. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm right where I'm supposed to be in terms of the parenting uh, realm here. Uh, but to answer, to try to answer your question with that, I think, first of all, we have to understand, uh, let's take this example as an eight-year-old. Uh, he or she is an eight-year-old. And I think what is happening today, and you, you hit it on the head in terms of mechanics, Pat, like a lot of mechanics, 90% of what you see out there is mechanics-based, is mechanics, mechanics, mechanics. We talk so much about mechanics. Now, I say that not to uh, devalue uh, mechanics. Uh, certainly, that's a part of it but it's not 90% of it. And if we're an eight year old and we're worried about your mechanics at eight and we're worried about your mechanics at nine and then to your question, worried about that with the mental side of things, we have to kind of pull it back a little bit, almost like uh, the reins on a horse and let's slow this down a little bit and say like, okay, let's evaluate the eight year old, just like I do a 25 year old big leaguer. Let's evaluate the eight-year-old and try to meet them where they're at, right? So, so my eight-year-old, uh, for example, and I'm not bragging on him, but he, he can swing a bat. Does he practice a lot of baseball? No. Hockey's his sport. He's huge in the hockey. He's always in the basement playing hockey, which is another thing that I love. Played a bunch of different sports. He played soccer, basketball, hockey. Uh, he does theater with my wife. He does, he's like, he does a lot of different things like I did. It's important to me. Yeah. I, I I was, I played a lot of different sports growing up and I think there's value in that, uh, but not to get too far off the road, that eight-year-old, I want to meet that eight-year-old where he or she is at and evaluate them what they are as an eight-year-old. Like, listen, can, can you make contact with the ball? Let's just go simple stuff. Can you make contact with the ball? Is it going to look like Griffey's swing at eight? I'm not expecting that. Is it going to look like Mike Trout? Is it going to look like whoever it is who's been doing it? For many years, we could use a 10,000 hour rule. We could do, uh, we could use uh, a lot of different things. And you're trying to make your eight year old look like the big leaguer. Well, there is a huge gap in between of that. So, meeting the eight year old where they're at is saying, okay, what can you do right now? Okay, can you make contact? Can you not make contact? Can you, st <laughs> do you have balance? Do you not have balance? And saying, listen, I don't need those mechanics to be beautiful at eight, as an example, I need you to understand, Hey, how, can you make contact with the ball? Does that mean that we play a more wiffle ball? Does that mean we do a lot of bunting drills? Does that mean that we do a lot of different things to just enable you just to be an athlete? You yeah. know, do we just have you toss the ball up and just try to hit it like a fungo yeah. in your backyard? Do you, you know, can you do that? When I had the Academy years ago, um, there, there were parents that tried to bring in like six or seven year old kids. And listen, like we needed the money to, to keep the lights on, but we made it a point to say, listen, if you can't do these simple things, if you can't hit a ball off a tee, I'm not charging you for a lesson. I need the money, but I'm not going to take your money here. But I'm going to tell you is go home and take this tee. You can use my tee, go home, bring it back three weeks from now and have him hit for 15 minutes every day off this tee until he can make contact bring them back and then we'll go from there. So kind of a long winded answer. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but I wanted to start yeah. off saying that if we're using that eight year old example, let's allow them to fail. Let's allow them to succeed, but we got to give them a roadmap. We have to give them a roadmap and sent in terms of making sure that they are doing some fundamental things that they can do in their backyard. Mm -hmm. And we're going to give them some very small cues, whether it's, you know, Learn, telling them how to stand in the box, uh, telling them how to put their hands on the bat and like, and, and just having them be able just to hit the ball. It sounds way too simple, but here's the starting off point is that, can you do this more than once? Can you do it twice? Can you do it three times in a row? Can you do it five times in a row? 
okay, there's a good place to be because the mental side of things in baseball and hitting in, in general, hitting is the toughest thing to do. Yeah. The, your preparation provides your confidence. So if we're mm. looking to gain confidence of an eight-year-old or 10-year-old, their prep, meaning, hey, you might have to be off the tee in the garage for a couple of weeks. You might have to do this every day. Then if their prep gets better, their confidence gets better, and if their confidence is better, then they have a better shot at the game. Mm. A lot, And I'll end it with this. A lot of guys now are not practicing mm. as much as they are playing. And if you can, and then they're, they're out by the time 12 years old comes along. And I see with my son, I yeah. see kids that have already in the last couple of years have already bailed, Yeah, you know, and then the kids who have stayed are the better kids. And those kids that actually practice or outside playing ball or of any kind. Yeah. That's sort of the anthem of this podcast. And, and, you know, early on, one of the things that kind of brought Pat and I together was that basically observation of nobody's practicing. Nobody's, nobody's practicing and no one's using baseball as a hobby. They're just not going out in the backyard and throwing up and hitting it. Like you said, you know, I had a kid I was working with recently. Well, not recently within the last four weeks, but within the past year and a little, he was nine years old and I gave him homework and I said, here's what your homework is. How many baseballs do you own at your house? And he said, I've got one. So I gave him a few more. I said, well, now you've got five. What I want you to do is I want you to go out, find yourself the biggest field that you can, and I want you to hit, I want you to just throw these balls up in the air and hit them as far as you can. Hit them as hard and as far as you can. And the, when, I, when I first watched him try to throw a ball up and hit it, he couldn't do it. And I said, this is what I want you to do for the, for the, every day for the next week, you know, before we get back together again, that's, I just want you to throw it up and hit it, you know, make a game out of it. You know, we, are, cause we let our kid, our high school team have some like fun just doing, you know, hanging out before we actually got practice or so that time between school and baseball practice, we sort of planned an, a little bit of informality in there to let them just sort of get loose. And they would go out and play baseball golf. They'd pick out a spot and say, okay, you know, who's, who's, who can hit it closest to that spot? And they would just throw it up and hit it. And he came back and he, he told me how much fun he had out there throwing the ball up and hitting it. And it was just, it's just those, those simple things, like you said, they've gotten lost. You know, hitting, hitting itself has become more of a science today than I think, <laughs> that I think Ted Williams would have ever dreamed of it being when he wrote mm -hmm. Science of Hitting, which I think is probably one of the greatest books on hitting still today. But it's technological. It's complicated to understand. It's complex. It's an argument. I mean, hitting Twitter has become absolutely unbearable. I mean, I can't hardly stand to, to be on there anymore. It's buzzwords. And I know that there are coaches moving up a little bit higher. You know, we've talked about youth ball. Well, let's get into high school now. I know that there are high school coaches who feel inadequate today because they don't have the tech. They, their schools can't afford it. And they're being told, if you don't have this, you can't be a good coach. And it, I think it's just a bunch of bull manure, to be honest. You know, and they feel like the ability to teach hitting has passed them by because these kids are going, they're going to their, these instructors that have these data cages and things like that. And they're, they're getting all this really cool stuff and they're showing them on their phones. Look at what, you know, this is what my launch angle is, was last week. And, and my exit below is this, and this is what I needed to be doing, you know, working on this week. And those high school coaches who don't have that tech are feeling so overwhelmed. And they're like, I can't, we even had a, we had a college coach on last week and he said this very thing, Mike Deegan from Denison University. He said, I can't coach our hitters anymore. They come in with so much more knowledge about hitting because of all these things, this technology than I have that it, I just teach them how to compete. And I, I'm with him on that. I'm like, you know what? I think that's more important to teach them how to compete in the box than all this stuff that they're getting. What are you doing? I know that your big thing is let's keep it simple. I think, uh, well, your, your uh, main uh, header on your website, and I think one of the beginning of one of your chapters of your book is hitting is simple, but it's not easy. Is that right about yeah. that quote? Yeah, hitting is simple. It's just not that it's easy. It's just not that easy. It reminded me actually of a, I'm going to compare you to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, the cost of discipleship, who wrote grace is free, but it's not cheap. You know, that, that same kind of idea. Hitting is simple, but it's not easy. What are you doing? I don't want to say to combat the Twitter gurus, but your approach is much different. And I got to tell you, coach, I love your approach. <laughs> it's a, it's a breath do. of fresh air um, for me uh, when I when I see the way the world has, the baseball world is being taken over. And I'm not against technology. My gosh, if I had the money, I'd buy it all. I want anything I can use to help, to help kids get better. But where's, where do you find that balance? Yeah, that, that's a, uh, that's a hot topic nowadays. It and is. I think the last 
couple years. Um, you know, I'll start with this. Uh, I feel that hitting the way like hitting hasn't changed in a hundred years, just the way that we're teaching it has changed. And I'm still not convinced it's the better way hmm. nowadays because, and, and I'll, and I'll explain. We go back to what we're talking about principles, flexible with your philosophy, individualize your teaching to that hitter. If they stand on top of their head, if they open, I was a switch hitter. So I was right. bipolar basically in a baseball right. sense. I had both sides. I didn't know what swing I was coming with uh, each day of the ballpark. But if we have our principles and we're flexible on our philosophies, it's the way teaching uh, hitting has been done for, for a hundred years. And uh, you look, everybody in the big leagues is different. Not one swing is alike. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll start with that. The next part of that too, is what I'm observing. And I, I'm a big believer. You can learn a lot by observing. Um, hitting Twitter. You talked about, I remember back in 2012, I used to have a, a chat on Twitter called KWB chat. We did it in 12 and 13 and right around that time. And it was a great conversation. It was before hitting Twitter blew up into what it is now. And we had really good conversations and guys were sharing a lot of the stuff they were doing in their college or high school setting or the pros. I would have guests on some of my clients would just talk, had really good conversations but now what it's turned into, as you alluded to, is a lot of people are marketing things and not teaching things. And they're trying to push their agenda on people and they're trying to sell something. Listen, I'm all for selling things in terms of I have to sell you as a hitter in what matters the most to you and what works for you. I sell every day, but I'm not selling to make money off of a gadget or a thing or a way. I'm trying to sell you on you as a person. Um, so I'm a big believer in the selling and that part of it, but, but the marketing has gotten so bad. And like you said, it's unbearable to watch and, uh, you just watch it. And it's, it, to me, it's a big dumpster fire. And I feel bad for the people that are watching it because you don't, they don't know who to believe. Right. There are a lot of good voices on Twitter that have been silenced, so to speak, because these guys just attack people and they muffle them because that's part of their plan. And what I try to do is, again, going back to staying in my lane, I try to stay in my lane. I try to be consistent in the message and the purpose and the why behind the message and and let people decide what they want. I always say that I'm not for everybody, mm. right? Like I, I, I'm really grateful that that you found a connection. Right. Um, so I might be for you. I may not be for somebody else. And that's something I learned early on in my career is I was trying to get everybody to see, do you see what I'm talking about? And, <laughs> and now, you know, fast forward all these years later is an understanding and from a maturity aspect, I think for me personally, it's, listen, I'm not for everybody, but what I am going to give you on a daily basis or try to give you is something that's simple, that's concise. Um, my job is to take all this confusion. I always say that hitters are drowning in information today, but they're starving for right. wisdom. And that wisdom quote. of what they're, their wisdom of what they're, they're searching for is not found out in most places. Now they're, they're drowning in that information. An example of some of that wisdom is again, why, why does that happen? Why do you do what you do? Uh, or another example is stand at the, at the batter's box. You know, you and I were talking in our messaging back and forth and, What's your view from the batter's box? Yeah. One of the chapters in my my first book, Good Batting Book, is simply the wisdom comes from standing at home plate on an empty field and understanding you have a couple acres of fair territory to hit a ball into, um, understanding what pitch you hit the best. That's wisdom. Understanding where on the plate your pit that your your swing plays naturally. That's wisdom, and that is what guys are searching for. Um, and so. I think a, a lot of today, what you're talking about is, yeah, there, there, there's so much out there and there's so much that's cluttering and it's all mechanics and there's people bashing each other. And it's just really a sad space to be, to see, but I think and there's our rays of light if you look for it. Um, and certainly that's what I'm trying to do is just trying to help people say like, I'll simply post, Hey, what do you see in a hitter? Yeah. Uh, I'll post that on social media and, um, if you, if you pay attention to it, it's, you see that there's guys that are doing really good things, whether it's a T drill in a cage or talking about their approach in the game or mindset and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's a consistent thing of like, Hey, at the highest level, this is the way that we think it's not complicated. Like we said, mm-hmm. it's simple, but it's just not that easy. 
And then you see the comments below of the people that you're like, wow, I have no idea what that person said, or I don't even, I mean, they're looking at the wrong thing and, and this and that, and they're breaking down someone's back elbow. We're always yeah. trying to, always trying to do is do this and, and stuff like that. So not to ramble on, but I, I think it's a, it's a hot topic for sure. And I'm glad you brought it up because there's a lot of people out there that, that at least reach out to me. And I know it's, they're reaching out to a lot of other people that like, who do I believe? Who do I trust? And that's a tough thing for people that may not be in the know. I'll be honest with you, coach. I would tell anyone that your approach is suitable for them. And here's why, because I, I you know, as I read, read your book and as I was thinking about, you know, your approach, I, I feel like it can be summed up in saying that you try to instill confidence in the hitter. Everything that, that you talk about is a form of anticipation, but mostly it's about having confidence, and you said it earlier, in what you can do as a hitter. What are you best at, right? And confidence is so huge, you know, to hitters. So, you know, I think anybody out there wanting to be a, become a better hitter, if you want to become a better hitter, be a more confident hitter. Yeah. And, and that would make you make you a better hitter. But one of the ways that you talk about doing that, I absolutely love this. And I, I feel like the structure of youth baseball is eliminating this from our hitters. It's the idea that you go out there and you swing at everything. <laughs> and, by, and by swinging at everything, you learn, one, you learn what pitches you can't hit. But you too, you learn what pitches you're really good at hitting. And I see, you know, this is rampant in youth baseball. Don't swing at that pitch. Third oh, base yeah. coach, you know, a, a kid swings at a pitch over his head. You know, oh, you shouldn't have swung at that pitch. They're getting angry. They're getting upset. And what does that what does that create in a hitter? It creates apprehension. It creates nervousness, and it creates a lack of confidence. Right? I just I, I wanted to point out that I love the idea that you say that there are times and you point out scrimmages and practices when you should just go out and just go crazy and swing the bat. And I would say that that approach should be taken and more in, in, especially from a youth perspective, obviously you're not going to want to do that at a high school level because winning is, is pretty important there and, and, and winning is always important to us. But um, in a youth perspective, I wish more coaches had your mentality of, Hey, just get up there and swing the bat and see what you can do with it. Because no matter how many times you fail in that environment, you're creating confidence in yourself. I truly believe that. Yeah. You're yeah, learning. It's, it's a good point. And, and I, I appreciate you, you bringing that up because I think in, in to kind of like wrap a bow on that um, the reason that I have, I say swing at everything. So, you know what you can and can't hit a lot of that comes from, and even with the, the guys in the big leagues it comes in that cage setting too, is sometimes when our swings and oftentimes I should say, when our swings get better, let's start with there. When we're working on things and we're swinging, our, our bodies work more efficiently as we get older. Well, we can reach more quadrants of the strike zone. We can go left and right up and down a lot more. And we don't know how far we can go until we actually swing the bat, like you're mm -hmm. saying. And so I think that, you know, bringing it back to the youth side, uh, I think that, and, and I see this with my son's games all the time, is, yeah, the strike zone's like here and here, and we got to get the game moving, and, and I understand it. It's like watching paint dry sometimes, but, like, it's, it's, it is, it, it is um, a great platform to say, listen, swing the bat, like you said swing it so that, Hey, you might swing and hit a ball, three balls off the plate and hit a line drive into the outfield, or you might swing and miss at that same ball, or you may cap it, or you may hit it up the middle or, uh, you know, I don't know either way, like in the practice, when the backyard in the cage, uh, even in youth, but I, I try to take that and use that in the practice setting and saying that we want to swing at everything. So we know what we can and can't hit. That's our foundation. That's how we can build out from there. And because of that, you're teaching them to master their strengths. You're teaching them discovery. I should, I should start there. And then you're teaching them to master their strengths. Because I think the next part of that as they grow older is like, listen, we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. And a lot of people are saying, oh, we got to get our weaknesses up. We got to get our weaknesses up. But the best that we can do with a weakness is to get it up and work on it 
the best that we can do with that is create average out of that. Mm-hmm. There are weaknesses. Yeah. There are weaknesses for a reason. The guys in the big leagues, they know what their weaknesses are, but they don't waste time working on them. Yeah. They take what they discovered as their strengths and they master the strength of it. So if we want to bring it all back into this swing at everything so you know what you can and can't hit. It's like, listen, I can't hit that ball three balls off the plate, but I can hit this ball, you know, middle in. I, I put seven balls down in front of a plate. Uh, you know, the one ball being the inside corner, you know, four balls center cut and then the seventh ball is on the outside and there's seven in a row. And I have them call out. I have them swing at everything. And when they make contact, I tell them over what ball on the plate do you make contact with? So number one, it shows them, oh man, I know the strike zone. And this is what pro guys do. They're a little bit better at it, of course, but still, sometimes they're off by a ball or two. Um, the, the youth might be off by three or four balls and that's fine. That's fine. We give them an opportunity to learn, but we line up all seven balls. I throw to them, soft toss, whatever, front toss, chair BP. And when they make contact, I have them over, tell me over which ball on the ground that you make contact. Then through that, they start understanding of what the strike zone is, what their strike zone is compared yes. to what the game strike zone yeah, is. Right. And then from that, what they can and can't hit, I tell them, okay, over which four balls of those seven. So if you can visualize this, four balls are about three quarters of the plate. And if you have four balls there, I tell them over what four balls does your swing play the most natural? Not that you have to chicken wing it or reach for it or where does it, like depending on where you stand on the plate, depending on what your swing is, what your swing path is, whatever, over what four balls. And they'll, they may or may not be able to tell me, especially younger, we're talking about younger, you help them along the way. But then I remove the other three balls of the seven. I leave the four balls there. And then I throw to them and I say, I only want you hitting the ball in this spot. So that's three quarters of the plate. So that kind of takes your, what you're talking about, Pat, and it takes it kind of to the next level of like, okay, well, I'm swinging at everything at a younger age, just to know what I can and can't hit. And then as I grow older, I can, I can say, okay, it needs to be somewhere on this plate, somewhere near here to give me the best chance to drive it. Because, because Chris, going back to your thing about the, the tech and stuff like that, all this data that we have is a reflection and as a recording of our thought process, of mm-hmm. our approach, of our purpose to what we're doing. So it's like, hey, we're trying to hit a ball at 30 degree launch angle. Okay, I'm not trying to hit the ball at 30 degree launch angle. I'm trying to be on time for the ball in my tunnel, in my four ball zone. And more times than not, I'm going to get that line drive as simple as that. Yep. That's a great breakdown of what the data is used for or what we're actually seeing. And when we see that, that I love that, you know, and I believe this may have been the last day that I actually got to work with a high school player in person before all of this uh, uh, virus threat hit us. And we had to start isolating ourselves from people. I had a softball player. I was working with one of our high school softball players in uh, the cage indoors. And she this is a great player. I mean, she's a good hitter. She came out of the cage and she said, Hey, she, she was asking me, Hey, what was I, you know, she, she, she was frustrated about her round there in the cage. And she said, was I casting my hands? Was my head moving too much? And, and she was, she was asking all these questions. So I let her, I let her get through all that stuff. And I said, maybe I said, it, it, that may have been the case, but I want you to tell me what you were thinking about when you were in the box. Just tell me, tell me what was going through your head. And she looked at me funny. I said, no, well, how were you talking to yourself? I mean, do you, do you talk to yourself in the box? You know, what were you saying? And I think she was expecting me to tell her something mechanical that probably would not have helped her one bit when she got back in there. But I said to her, just do me a favor. And this is going back to what you and Pat were talking about. I want you to go in this time. I want you to swing at every ball that comes in. We were hitting off the, off the machine because uh, the coach couldn't, couldn't throw. You know, the softball, they, they hit off the machine a lot, which I like, actually. <laughs> I, li- I like it for baseball as well. And, uh, and I said, just get in there and swing at everything you can. And when you do, I want before you do, I want you to envision there been a time, there's got to be a time when you hit a ball over the fence or you hit a ball that you knew. I mean, when you hit it, you felt good. You know, I want you to envision that. And I want you to try to hit every single ball just like that, as hard as you can. 
And uh, she got out and I said, well, did you notice anything different about the balls that you hit well versus the ones that you didn't? And she learned what her favorite pitch was. She learned, you know, this was a freshman who's coming in off of a lot of travel ball. She's got, I mean, she plays softball every single day. I'm seeing her even tweet right now. She's got her own cage at home and she's working really hard. But man, she's so focused on those mechanics because everyone tells her, do this, do this, do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And I think it was really kind of the first time that she had someone say, don't think about that stuff. Don't think about it. And it makes you look like, you know, I understand. It makes you look like to a lot of these kids who get the technical things fed to them a lot. High school coaches, are, I think, are, are a little bit hesitant to just back off and just say something simple like that because it makes them look less knowledgeable about the game. And they're nervous about that. Yeah, I think you, you brought up a great point about teaching mechanics through feel. And that's certainly, you know, it's the feel versus real. Yeah conversation and it's now in the game where it should never even what existed you know 15 years ago because no one had come up with all these crazy mechanical things you know and so but we're having that discussion you also so you had a feel versus real discussion with her you also something that jumped out to me was you answered her question with another a question in return I always say that sometimes the best answer to a question is a question in return. You did that just then. And I love doing that player comes out. Hey man, what'd you see? Hmm. Well, how'd it feel? Yeah. Right. Exactly what you did, you know, and ping it back to them. Continue to, it's their career. I always, I always hmm. say it's your career, not mine. Mine's done. This is your career, whether it's in high school, whether it's in the pros, whether it's eight year old, you might not be able to have that discussion with an eight year old. You, you do have to, take the stick and, and, and like the, the, the joystick, like the Atari for those old people <laughs> right. and, and enjoy it and move it around. But you have to uh, do that sometimes. But I thought that was a great depiction of what happens in a cage. Everything we're talking about today, that hitting is a conversation and you're pinging it back to her and you're allowing her now to go home and do it on her own Right. We didn't expect this to happen with anybody. Mm -hmm. But I always tell the guys that I work with, listen, I'm working here. You hire me to fire me. Yeah, because I don't want you to need me your entire career. Now, I want to build a relationship with you and I want to continue to, uh, you know, stay in contact when you don't need me anymore. But my sole goal, and this is a terrible marketing plan <laughs> for any business out there. <laughs> is for, for you not to need me over a course of time, but I'm, I'm a big believer that, at least in this case, and when we're teaching, we're talking about today, what, whoever we're teaching, because coaching is teaching, right, yep. at, at the core of it, I think all the stuff we're talking about today, is for you not to need us years down the road, but what we have instilled in you, that whether it's the confidence of things, whether it's the uh, the purpose of what we're doing, the foundational principles that we've built and that you've taken ownership of, that what we have helped you with will stay with you for years to come and you won't need us anymore. But we've made a huge impact in your life in that time. And I, for me, mm. baseball is a tremendous platform to teach life lessons from. My yeah, sole absolutely. goal is not really to get you to be a, a good hitter that's what you hire me for but like i've tried to like that the good batting book and finding clarity to me those are two life books yeah uh, the podcast the kw radio it's it's a life podcast much like this is what we're we're using it as a, a platform in, in in order to teach life lessons to who we come in contact with and try to make significant impacts in their life off the field because most of what i do it, it, for my main clients in, in, in Major League Baseball is 90% off the field stuff. They come to me for their swing, but it turns into a, a life a life coach, uh, a mentor role. Uh, so 90% of it is that. The 10% is the actual hitting piece of it. And But if you, if I would say, if you ain't right off the field, you ain't going to be right on the field. Oh, that is so true. I saw that as a high school baseball coach, and I'm not currently coaching high school baseball right now. I stepped away so I could watch my kids both play in college. But when I was coaching high school baseball, one of the big things I noticed was when things were going difficult for them in life, in class, I saw it on the field. And 
vice versa. When things were going well for them, they were loose on the field. They've, it really affected their play. And so your point to you know coaching the person versus coaching the player just became sort of a mantra for me, to be honest. I found that when our players were in a good place in their mindset all throughout the day, while they were going to classes, while they were interacting at lunchtime with their friends, while they were interacting with their girlfriends and whatever else that they were doing at, fam- you know, at home with their families, then it made their performance on the baseball diamond, their performance on the baseball diamond was, was reflected in the way life was going for them. And so I found myself as well being more of a life coach as, as much as a baseball coach in the same way. That's awesome. That Yeah, coaching the person first and the player second, a great example of that, at least uh, what I like to do is go on walks with players. Mm-hmm. I love to go on walks, get them away from the stadium because certainly at the highest level, that's the, that's the most, uh, stressful. That's the most, I mean, it's, it's your livelihood and you only get, you know, there's only 25, 26 spots. There's only 30 teams and there's thousands of ballplayers in the minor leagues. So like to get to the pinnacle, to get to the top, you know, there, you had to do a lot of stuff to get there. So you had to kind of a lot of adversity along the way. So removing them from that bubble, I call it the bubble. So we can do it in high school, could do it in college, right? It, you're in that bubble where you think that everything revolves around what you do on the field. Mm-hmm. I got caught up in it too. Four for four, player of the game, player of the week, hit the walk-off homer, whatever it is, I, I've done it. I felt like I was the best player on the planet. Oh, for four, three errors, which I never made. I actually did one game, all that felt like I was the worst player on the planet. Yeah. So, but I'm, oh, I was always in that bubble. So what I try to do is I try to remove them from that bubble. We'll take a walk around the city. Um, if when I was coaching teams, I would take, um, take them outside of the stadium or I would walk on the warning track, get them out of the clubhouse, get them out of my office. Because I, I always felt this, I don't know about anybody else, but when I was called into a manager's office, when I played, it was because I was getting sent down or released. <laughs> right. You know, it wasn't like, you know, like, oh, yeah, we're going to call you up to the big league. No. So I thought it was, I felt it was the principal's office. Mm-hmm. So going into an office, I didn't want them to feel like they were in trouble. Now, I wasn't the manager. I was always the hitting coach. But I, I said, let's go out and take a walk. And removing them from that allowed us to have really good conversation. And when I say really good conversation, it, it simply started with asking a better question. Instead of asking them, hey, man, how do you feel? I know how they feel. They're tired or frustrated or whatever. I would ask them, what's in your mind? Because asking them how they feel is going to elicit a much different response than what's on your mind. And if I ask them what's on your mind, then it opened the floodgates because I built that trust, built that relationship even before taking that walk with them that they knew I was a trusted source that they can just pour into, dump out, whatever, vent. And I would just walk around and I maybe said two or three words and that was it. And then afterwards, every time, almost every time they're like, man, thank you so much for that. I needed that. I know they need that because I went through it myself Mm. and I went through the trials and I went through the adversity. And and the reason I'm doing my why, as as you've heard me say all the time, like my why is to help people. How can I help you? But my why stems from that help is I didn't have that help when I played. I didn't have that. So if I can, in this second phase of my life, if I can be turn around and be a servant and I can serve others with that, you're talking about if I can serve the person first, the player is going to automatically show up, like you said, in the game. Yeah, I think that's the danger of, you know, we say all the technology that, that we have available to us today that so many people feel like that that's all they need to lean on or that that's all they have to lean on or they they get so engrossed in it that that's all they have the time you know the capacity to uh to use and you know make no mistake about it from every level of sport and from every every level of life uh we're human beings and we feel different every day we wake up right some days we feel great and some days we don't feel great and um that has a, a direct impact on the way that we perform in life in general. So uh, as coaches, I, I just, it would be naive for us to not consider how we can make an impact in, on our players and that, uh, 
and that concept. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of just trying, you know, being aware of plugging into your players, plug into them. I say it's all the time. All it takes is five minutes to change someone's life. Yeah. Mm. Take advantage of five minutes. Think about how many five minutes we have in our day days with our teams, you know, could be on the bus. You're talking about, you turned around on the bus. I mean, mm-hmm. you got a, got bus rides, you've got stretch, you've got today, you've got technology, meaning text messaging. It could be in this time here, the zoom, uh, it could be whatever, connect with your players, take advantage of those five minutes, walking to, to the car, going to your office, walking to the clubhouse, whatever it is. Cause I, I, at the conventions I speak at over the years, I always say like, listen, I've seen you guys spend five minutes in the line for coffee this morning. You know, uh, you can't tell me you don't have enough time because coaches will come up. Kev, I've got a roster of, of 30 guys. I don't have time. I got a roster of 20 guys. I don't have time. I got a roster of 15. I don't have time. Will you, you, have you thought about how many five minutes that you waste during the day on whatever it is else that you do that you can take one of those five minutes and connect with one person? Take a week and see how many times that you can connect with five. Uh, those five minutes, how many guys do you connect with throughout the day, throughout the week? And at the end of that week, see how many lives that you touch and see how many people that you that you touch. And I think that's where if we can take those advantage of those five minutes to plug into people – we have an absolute um, tremendous opportunity at the end of the season, at the end of the year, to impact more lives, to inspire and influence them in ways beyond the playing field. Mm. That's really good stuff. And you, if when you read about great coaches, you you read about those types of interactions with their players and the people that surround them. All these stories pop up of the way that they impact people's lives. Not that's what people write about. That's, exactly. That, that's what's. Yeah. That's what people write about when you write. You know, you read Matt Deggs's book. You read any of these coaches' books. It's always about that personal interaction and the way, the way people have impacted one another's lives, the way players have impacted coaches' lives, as well as coaches impacting players' lives. It's absolutely the truth. So, yeah, it's why we're here. You know, it, it, I think a big, a big thing to coaches, a uh, big question to ask yourself if you haven't already, is why do you coach? That's a huge yeah. question. Coach, you opened up your book, and I'd love I'd love to try to get this in there if, if you don't mind. You you opened up the good batting book by talking about a, a, a lesson that you provide to your hitters, and it's one that I told you yesterday when we were chatting there a little bit that I like to do as well. I, I just stole it from you, and it's just been so phenomenal. Would you tell us why you do this? You take a hitter out to the field and have them stand at the plate, and the field is empty, and you ask them, what do you see? It's a visualization tool that you use. And I don't want to, I don't want to give it away. I'd love to hear your explanation uh, for that. Yeah. It's uh, you know, what's your view from the batter's box simply put. And a lot of us, um, I do it twofold, but we'll start with this. A lot of us when you know, it's, it's based upon the cage translating to on the field. So when we're at the plate, and we don't have a turtle over our head or we're not in the cage. A lot of times we just go because kids don't play enough baseball. Now they don't play mm-hmm. enough stickball. They don't play enough wiffle ball. They don't play organized games enough. So the paralyzing aspect of it is when they get in the game, they just don't have enough experience to it. So this is also where it comes from. If I put, if I take you out to an open field and there's nobody on the field, but I take you out, I put you in the batter's box. I get a catcher. And I put them behind you and I put an umpire behind him. And I tell you right now, I said, look out. I said, look out to the entire field. What do you see? And they'll say, I don't see it. I just see your field. I don't see anything. I said, okay. I said, do you see how much open space you have? Meaning, do you see how much fair territory you have? Foul line to foul line. And no matter what field you play on. And they'll take, and I'll, I'll let them, you know, look at it and take it in. And, and I'll say, okay, now I'm going to put a pitcher out there on the mound. Vision him. You got pitcher, catcher, umpire, you, boom. You've got three strikes, four balls, just like a normal game. I said, how confident do you feel of putting a ball into fair territory off this guy on the mound? I don't care who it is. Take the, the best pitcher you faced in high school college pro ball do you feel confident with three strikes and four balls you can put this ball and play off this guy most people will be like yeah i can battle in here and i can get it i can put it in fair territory i said okay great 
I said, now what happens is at seven o'clock tonight, when we've got seven other guys behind that pitcher, what goes through your mind? Same pitcher, hours from now, fielders behind. What do you see? All these answers will vary, but for example, like, oh man, I'm trying to hit this ball in the gap over here. I see they have a shift on me over here and trying to hit the ball here. The entire mindset changes. So when I say, what's your view from the batter's box? And I take you out to an empty field. I ask them also, I said, what's the number one thing to hitting and what is your approach? Mm-hmm. And the guys I talk, talk to and talk and work with say, we want to be on time for a fastball to hit the center field. I said, so when there's nobody out there, do you feel like you can do it? Yeah. When there are runners out there and there's fielders out there and there's the game's seventh inning or the ninth inning, whatever you're playing and the game's on the line, does your approach change or does it stay the same hours earlier when the field was empty? Most guys will say, and it comes down to this, their approach change changes based on the situation. Mm-hmm. And I always remind them, like, listen, your approach stays the same just the situation changes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So by bringing them out to an empty field, I'm like, I'm taking all the stress and all the worry away from them saying, listen, I just need you to get be on time for a ball to center field. Let's see how it go, where it goes on the field. And your approach stays the same at seven o'clock tonight when you have fielders behind. Yeah. You are talking about simplifying it down to the, to the, what the hitter can control. You are yes. only thinking about what you can control. Yeah. It's yeah. And you have so a purpose good. for what you do. The worst thing you can do if I'm coaching you on a team is you come back in a dugout. And I say, Hey, what were you trying to do up there? And you go, uh, get a base hit. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, we have to show grace in that yeah. setting. We have to show, uh, forgiveness in that setting. But in terms of teaching them and coaching them to coach themselves, like, I don't care what you do. Hitting is hard. Like I said, hitting is simple. It's just not that easy. Mm-hmm. It's also really difficult to do in terms of like get a base hit. So, if you have an approach and you stick to it and you marry it, you're not dating it. Tell the older guys, put a ring on it. You got to have a commitment to it. You're not just dating it for a week and then you scrap it and try something else. That whole view from the batter's box allows you to uh, work with, again, what you can control, Pat, like you're talking about, and stick to your plan, marry that plan and ride that out throughout the entire week or season. When you do that, you evaluate your success and failure based on how well you executed that plan or that approach. And then, you know, four for four, oh for four doesn't matter because we know as, as baseball and softball people, we know that you can hit the ball great all day and go for four. Yeah. And not hit very well at all and go four for four. Yeah. Right. But the question is, how did you, how was how well did you execute your approach? Yeah. And I think that's where it comes into like the instant gratification nowadays. So like, I need to get a hit. I need to do every video that we see are people that are cut up and clipped of guys that are hitting homers or base hits or doubles. There's very few clips out there today that kids are scrolling through of failure. Right. Right. (laughs) In terms of the hitting space, right. Pitchers will show their strikeouts and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But how many kids today or how many young people, are actually watching a full game of baseball or softball yeah. and taking it in the way that people digested this 20 years ago in terms of we didn't have clips of stuff. We just sat and we watched. Right. And we watched the guys that 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 went 0 for 4. Yes, Mike Trout goes 0 for 4 once in a while. You know, <laughs> yes, there are guys that 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 struggle. Everybody struggles, but to your point, I think it it's allowing them to understand that. And I always take the season this way. Uh, Monday is opening day and Sunday is the end of the season, the last day of your season and opening day mentality, right? We're all, um, we're all optimistic. I'm, I haven't struck out yet. I'm, I'm, I don't have a batting average yet. Uh, I feel great in the cage, my work, all that. But on Sunday or even on Wednesday, maybe if you're playing every day, you might haven't got a hit and you've gotten four at bats tonight. And all of a sudden those are old for 12. You're like, Oh, what do I do now? Well, the major league season, I think is 26 weeks long. If I'm, if I'm, let's not, hope uh, so. Right. Correct. <laughs> it's like, it's like, but here's, here's, and here's my point. It's much easier for a pro to take this play the long game than it is a high school player. than it is a college player. 
but it also helped the college and the high school player because I mentored college and high school kids through their seasons as well. Um, uh, you know, uh, with all this stuff. So Monday's opening day, Sunday is the last day of the season. I say, what is your, what do you want to accomplish today, Pat? Like you're talking about, I want to hit the, I want to hit as many fastballs in my zone as possible. Great. Mm-hmm. That's on Sunday. What did you do? How well did you execute that? Like Pat, like you said, each day, then you take on Sunday, you do an evaluation, whether you were the best player that week or you were the worst player statistically that week, but did you educate, did you execute, excuse me, your approach on Sunday? We take the, we keep the good and the stuff we have to work on. We make adjustments. We tweak, we don't make wholesale things. We tweak, we learn. And then fresh week. And we do that every single week. It's a lot easier to manage seven days than 56 days, than 162 days, than 35 days, whatever your season is. I can manage seven. If I can manage seven days and I can manage a day, if I can manage a day better, I can manage an hour better. I can manage an hour better and at that better, a pitch better, so on and so forth. Yeah, I think the theme of the day is that there's so much wisdom and simplicity that there's that, yeah. that on the other side of complexity, really, it comes down. It always comes back to simplicity. And that's what you're doing. Even again, you're taking you're taking several weeks, 20 some weeks of games and you're, you're saying, let's simplify it. Let's bring it down to, to one day, one week. And just, yeah, that uh, that translates yeah. so well to life too. It does. It does. Coach, we've taken a lot of your time today, but I tell you what, I've got, I got pages of notes and I know that <laughs> our, our listeners are as well, but we want to give um, you a chance to answer a question that Pat and I ask all of our guests at the very end of our conversation. And that question is, if you think back to your days of playing youth baseball, what is maybe one of your favorite memories of your days growing up playing youth baseball? Well, this will be a sentimental thing for me because um, I was a hockey player growing up. I played baseball sparingly. Uh, it wasn't until freshman year of high school that I, I really got in. That's where my best friend, Joe Ferrero put his arm around me <laughs> and he literally changed my life forever. Um, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today if it wasn't for Joe, but, um, I think back to when I was uh, 12 years old, my best friend, George strand passed away from leukemia. And, uh, it's the reason I wear number 30, um, my whole career and all coaching. Um, so I remember back to that time and, and, you know, you, with a twinkle in my eye, I guess, you, you know, the simplicity of, of life back then, um, you know, riding our bikes everywhere and, and, and showing up to the field. But, um, the thing that impacted me the most, and the thing I remember the most about of, of youth was George going through what he went through. He was a diabetic before, uh, getting cancer. And during that time, he never complained. He always wanted to be at the field when he could, and he was there quite a bit. Um, we played hockey together, played baseball together. He was the best athlete that I'd seen at that young age and he was taken away. And he gave me, whether he knew it or not, he gave me the, uh, the permission to be able to carry on, carry on the number, carry on the, the joy in the game that he was, that he played with. Um, I couldn't carry all the talents that he had. That was, those are unique to him. But in my looking back on my youth uh, baseball experience, that to me, he showed me, and with the theme of today, he showed me so much more about life, resilience, perseverance, what mattered the most to you, um, and really just looking at life through a different lens than most of us yeah. at such a young age. I'm not saying that I picked up what he was putting down right away, but certainly now I look back and he was planting the seeds. For not only me, but a lot of us that still talk to this day that we're on those teams and we reminisce, uh, you know, I take my son to the fields called George's field, I take my son there and he's always near and dear to my heart. So for sentimental reasons for me, uh, I look back on that fondly. Uh, yeah, I lost my best friend, but at the time, but it's, uh, he taught me so much about life, uh, through everything that he was going through, through the suffering that he went through. He, he was shining his light on all of us. And I, and I got that much later in life. And that's what I'm trying to just return the favor, so to speak, now to everybody is try to shine my light on others and try to lift up people. And uh, when they're going through adversity and, re- and show them the resilience and maybe show them the path of where they can get to. 
Well, I'll say, Coach, that you are indeed fulfilling that quest and that vision. You have had an incredible impact on, no doubt, hundreds or thousands, I'm guessing, of people. I know that you uh, you come at everything that you do with, with a ton of passion, a ton of humility, and uh, that's something that is really lacking in today's in today's game um, confidence with humility I think is something it's a, it's a real it's a real asset a real virtue that people that once coaches have it those are the kind of guys that you want to be around and I, I, I see that in you it's been so great to to get to talk to you get to know you a little bit we are going to certainly tell all of our listeners to check you out on kwbaseball.com and if they don't yet follow you on Twitter that's at KW Baseball, pretty much if you if you go to Google and type KW Baseball, you're going to see a whole list of uh, Kevin Wilson stuff that you can jump into and watch videos and other podcasts. I think you're going you're having a chat this afternoon uh, still as well, right? Yeah, yeah, we have uh, doing on Instagram. Insta, I call Coffee with K Dub. Yeah, we do it on. Uh, we're gonna have Chicago Cubs uh, hitting coach Anthony Iaposi. We got another. Italian yeah. on the line from, That's right. from New York. That's so right. We'll, we'll be good. We'll be tuning into that. So we, we know your time is really valuable, and we just really appreciate you coming on with us today. Well, thank you for having me, guys. This was awesome. I, I truly enjoyed my time. and just uh, just really uh, flattered to be here and honored. So thank you very much. Hey, the honor's ours. I appreciate you, Coach. Thank you.